that mixed up in Kentucky this is evening. <laughs> I hope there's no one here from Kentucky hearing me say that. <laughs> but we're happy to be here in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always a privilege to speak to people. I love to do that. It's not back and behind the stage why where this famous song was written, Paul Rader used to be the pastor there after uh, Brother Rediger. I was standing back there and there's rice of service and there's so many people around I couldn't get out so they just walking me around back and forth in the building. So as the man came back there he said, um, say Brother Branham, I said yes sir. He said, why you have awful grammar? And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> I know that. And he said, uh, he said, you use some of the office words. Did you really tear up the the, uh, the butcher English? And I said, yes, sir. I said, I'm aware of that. He said, while well, the people that you speak before said you ought to be ashamed of that grammar. I said, I am. But it doesn't do me any good. I just don't know no better. And he said, well, he said, uh, I said, when I was a boy, uh, my father died. I had ten children to take care of, and I had to work and support my mother and the children. Then since the Lord has sent me out, well, I have, haven't had a chance. And he said, oh, that's no excuse now. I said, you're a man. And he was using some real words. I didn't know what he was talking about. So he said, uh, well, I said, there's no excuse now. I said, you ought to do better than that now. I said, well, I said, I'm just so busy praying for the sick people and things. I said, I said, you take a correspondence. And I said, well, that's true. But I said, I just don't have the chance to do it. He said, the office word said, ver said here's one especially you made tonight. He said, you said all the people crossing this pole pit now. Well, he said, you should never say that. I, I didn't see nothing wrong with it. Well, I said, what's wrong with crossing the pole pit? He said, your congregation appreciates you better if you said pulpit, not pulpit. <laughs> I said, well, brother, I want to tell you what. That's all right. I said, them people don't care whether I say pulpit or pulpit. They want me to live the right kind of life and produce what I'm talking about. That's what they're talking about. That's the name. I said, none of them so highly, but what they'll understand what I'm saying. And they'll make it out some way. They can, that's, so you excuse my, my grammar. It's not very good. But I, a lot of times in the Word, I, I love to talk about the Word. I don't know too much about it, but I, I like to talk about it. I'm, I know the author of it real well, so that's the main part, isn't it, if I know the author. So he's wonderful to me. He saved me by his grace, and I'm so happy about it today. Usually on Sunday afternoon, it's given to me to, to speak and just preach or whatever seems good to do. So I'm not not a preacher. I'm just kind of a, what you call a spare tar. You know, you use that when you got a flat. We haven't got no flat now. <laughs> I just wanted to see where Dr. Vale was. <laughs> we, haven't got, we haven't got no flat, but I'm still just a spare tar. <laughs> just uh, talk a little while on our Lord, I love him, and the afternoon services and Sunday uses giving over to missionary 
affair, missionary offerings, and so forth, that we get money together, and as soon as we get enough, we go back overseas to the to the people who are so desperately in need of Christ. You've never heard of him one time. Four little thousands and thousands of little children over there that know nothing of God and hungry, and they've got just as much right to hear about Jesus as my baby and your baby has. Just the same right. Jesus died for them as same as he did for, for our children. And old Brother Bosworth here, my dear old loving father in the gospel, even here at the age of 75 or 76 years old, still wants to spend the rest of his days on the battlefield over in Africa. It just A group from Chicago had just got a hold of me and said, if I would have accepted that by the Chicago Gospel Tabernacle, air-conditioned and rebuild it all over and interior it and everything, buy a new big home up there in Chicago Heights, if I'd be just the, the pastor there that when I come back into the nation, and I'd accept it just be a pastor and have Brother Bosworth come along as my uh, associate pastor. I said, Brother, them's all over the United States, but yet we can't accept nothing until Jesus Christ has said yes. I said, after, and we were talking to Brother Bosworth about it. He said, how can I be a pastor either, Brother Brandon, when I hear that call coming from across the sea? You're just not the same if you ever get over there and see what it is. I, I mean it. And I now I'm an American. I was born here in America. America. I had four or five brothers in the last war. I've got a boy here going in now, right away. Now, when I was in France and Germany, I walked over the graves of many a dead American, a Branham, rather, that gave their life under the stars and stripes. Mine had to lay there for the cause. I gladly lay it down. But if there ever was a place that needed missionaries, is America. <laughs> That's right. Truth. Farthest away from God that I know of is the United States. That's, I say that with respect as an American. It's, we have been so educated and taught and so many things sold right into our lap, we don't know how to trust God. Don't know we just simply, and you go into a congregation, this one says, well, not nighttime, even a, this little handful of people. You sit here and feel one coming here and here and here and here, just everywhere, people. One and thinking this and one thinking that. Why, I know what they're thinking about? Sure do. God reveals it. And one of them saying, well, Dr. So-and-so said it was mental telepathy. This one says, well, he's a spiritualist. And this one says it's a devil. That's the reason the Holy Spirit can't move, you see. It's got to be one accord. See, got to be one accord, and then God's blessings and power will pour upon his people. Until we can get that, we're fighting the air, truly. It's very hard, very hard, and it almost kills you. Now. I, in speaking, I usually don't speak over five hours at a time, so it won't take very long. So, and uh, I, some of them said that I just get started talking and I just don't know when to stop. But now this afternoon, if you'll excuse me for a few moments, I want to try to take a text and, and speak to you just a little bit on a gospel turn. This is the fifth week of constant service of this type, 
There's no need to be trying to explain to you, my dear Christian friends, of how that the that works. You, you, there's no need. Of, you can't talk it. And many people think I'm an isolationist. I'm not an isolationist. I love people. You don't know how I'd like to take each individual and sit down and have an hour or two with them to talk. I can't do that because there's something happened. When the anointing first begins to come, every person you speak to, there it is. See? And now, most always uh, leaving the meeting, while I'm standing here and it's going on at nighttime, it isn't bad. I know, don't even know my own strength then. Or when I'm out of it, it's all right. It's when you're coming between, just in between coming in and out of it, of the anointing. Let me explain, let me tell you this. Did you notice always prophets, poets, or so forth are considered neurotic? Did you ever know that? The greatest poet that America, gave America the greatest folk songs, I guess, was, was Stephen Foster, wasn't it? Old folks at home, you know, Swanee River and all those. I was standing not long ago at my old Kentucky home. I was born not far from that. And I had my hand laying on the desk like that. An inspiration come to Stephen Foster where he wrote Old Kentucky Home. I seen his picture and the angel was supposed to touch him and give him his inspiration and so forth. Now that's the guy that went through. I was sitting alone and I thought, Mr. Foster, you had it in the head, not in the heart. Because every time he'd write, get inspiration, write a song, he'd go off and get on a drunk afterwards. And then finally, you know how he ended his life. After getting up in that inspiration, he'd come back down, called a servant, took a razor, and committed suicide. The Stephen Foster's end. I thought of William Pepper. You heard of him. They wrote that famous hymn, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins when sinners plunge beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. A few, about two or three years ago, I stood by his grave in England on his history there. And William Caffrey, after writing that song, when he was up in that inspiration writing, he was considered a neurotic. And when he come out of that inspiration, he got a tra- cab and tried to find the river to commit suicide. He didn't know where he was at, what he was doing, nothing. He'd been up somewhere. Look, that's, that's poor. Look at prophets. Look at Jonah when he was on his road to Nineveh and taking a boat to Tarsha. And he, God, he disobeyed God and he was thrown out of the ship and a whale swallowed him and, and he was brought back to Nineveh and he gave his prophecy so much with a city the size of St. Louis, Missouri, over a million population. Some of them didn't even know right and left hand. But that prophet walked the streets of screaming his prophecy like that until the people repented in such a way that they put sackcloth on their animals. And then when the inspiration left him, he sat under a little gourd tree and prayed God to take his life. Is that right? See, you don't understand it. He was up somewhere, and while the inspiration was on him, all right. But when it leaves him, then what? See? Look at, look at Elijah the prophet, who stood on Mount Carmel that day and called fire out of heaven, called rain out of heaven at the same day, and then run out into the wilderness after the inspiration left him at the threat of Jezebel, run out into the wilderness and wandered around out there in the wilderness for 40 days and nights, and God found him, he'd crawl back in a cave somewhere. Is that right? See? No need of trying to explain it. It's just a life alone. When you're in there, it isn't bad. When you're out, but it's coming between that. See? And they're just, you don't know where you're at and what you're doing. What does it speak? 
It speaks one thing. Brother, there's a land beyond the river. We reach up into it there somehow. I don't know. I can't explain it. But I know some glorious day, when I come to the end of my journey, which I've got to some of these days, I suppose as an old man, I hope to be, if Jesus tarries. Most all Branhams, when they get real old, they take the palsy. Now, my granddad on my father's side was 98. My grandmother was 110 when she died. And my grandfather on my mother's side was uh, 96, I believe it was, died about three years ago. And my grandmother died young with Scarfoot when she was just a, a young woman, about 30. But anyhow, when they get old, they all shake with palsy, or nervous, Irish, high-strung. And I suppose if I live to be that old, I'll too take the palsy when I get old. But someday when I've come my last roll, and I feel the breakers are dashing against me, and I know my time is over, and I'm standing by the shores of the Jordan of death, and I feel it coming on me, I want to take off the helmet. Lay it down on the shores. I want to take the gospel shoes off and lay them down, take the old sword and stick it back in the sheath of eternity, raise up my trembling, shaking hands and say, Stand out the lifeboat, Father. I'm coming across this morning. I believe you'll meet me there. Uh, and then when I'm taken up, I want to look back down to briar patches and hills and hollers and bad places and rough places of where I've cut my way through teaching Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe he'll meet me at that day. Not only me, but all those who will meet and his requirements in this life to accept him as your only personal Savior. May the Lord bless you. Now, I want to read a portion of the scripture. My words will fail. God's word will never fail. That's the reason in each service I try to read some of God's word, because my words are just another man's word, but his word is eternal forever. They cannot fail. And I've preached here before and on a little subject, and I just got a new idea today that coming down here, I thought, I believe I was reading in the book of Jude while I was waiting, and I thought I'd read the first few verses of it and speak to you a little bit. On it. In Jude, the first verse, we read this. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified but God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. I want you to notice he's addressing this not to sinners, to the elect. See? This letter is not sent to unbelievers. Now listen. Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And now may the Lord add his blessings to that. I want to speak just a few moments on the faith that was once delivered to the saints. I believe how many Christians are in here raise your hands? All over the building, Christians. All right, this is a very appropriate time for this. I thought sinners would be out bathing and, 
and out on gambling and so forth, the Christians would come to the house of God, surely. Our Father, we thank thee today for mercy and grace of thy Son, Jesus, who by his great sacrifice has redeemed us back to God, the Father, beloved in the bonds of his suffering. He has redeemed us, and one day we poor alienated Gentiles were cut off from God without mercy, without hope. In the world, idol worshipers going to a devil's hell, a sinner's grave, and in due season Christ, the lovely one, came and took upon himself the form of sinful flesh and was made sin for us. Oh, that great substitutionary, the beautiful one for we ugly ones, the holy one for us the unholy, the righteous one for we sinners. And God accepted him in so much that he witnessed with his own voice, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And now, we who were once way off has been brought nigh by the washing of the water, by the word. And now we are nigh unto God even to be called sons and daughters of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be in the final end, but we know we shall have a body like his, for we shall seem as he is. That glorious hope rests within us to know that someday we'll never pray no more for the sick. There'll be no sick to pray for. We'll never preach a sermon of repentance because there'll be no one there to repent. It'll all be perfect. God help us today while this is called day. May we press to the mark of the high calling in Christ. Send the Holy Spirit now and take a few words. I don't know what to say, but... You've promised if you open your mouth, I'll fill it. You've met this in the last 20 years of my life, and I pray that you'll grant it again today. I don't know what they have need of, what I have need of, but you know, and I'm committing it all to you in the name of Jesus Christ that you'll get glory. Amen. I would like to speak just a few, a little while. I'll try to get out in time so that we can we can uh, get back to the service tonight. We're trying very hard, and truly, Christian friends, I know Florida's a hard place to touch. <laughs> Tell me, I saw really. But one of these days, there isn't going to be any Florida. It's going to be sunk. And the things that you so worship now will perish. Thus only eternal God can save you. So if you're not where you think you should be, or where God says you should be, that's the point. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is a way of death. Now as his servant, I must be honest and know no person but Christ. And then I, 
I'll, as I told you, being illiterate and not knowing very much of what we call uh, wisdom of this world, but I know him who has called me and redeemed me from a life of sin, and I have my fellowship and communion with him, and I do know what it, he requires of the Christian. So that's why today coming over I thought I would speak on this uh, earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Now there's every one of us. Now we're mixed up in here, probably Protestant, Catholic, and this little 150 group or whatever would be here, um, uh, Protestant, Catholic, Methodist, Baptist, and so forth, I have nothing against any of those churches. Not a thing. And God knows my heart. I don't belong to any of them. I just come out, and yet I belong to every one of them. Here some time ago I was in Little Rock, Arkansas. I got the office right up I ever had in my life. The reporter wrote that a self-styled Baptist preacher, <laughs> a healing of the sick, had called so many ambulances that, uh, to block the streets and so forth to the streetcars, couldn't move, and the buses through the street. Uh, they really rolled me good on it. But in the, there was an old man that uh, got healed. He'd been on crutches for many years, uh, been stiffened up. And the next day he had a sign on those crutches walking down the street, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, just a shouting away. And so when uh, I was speaking on Sunday, and while I was speaking, he raised up, he said, Say, preacher. And I said, Yes, sir. He said, You know, I don't understand something. I said, What is it, Dad? He said, When I heard you preaching, I was sure you was a Nazarene. He was a Nazarene, too. He said, I was sure you was a Nazarene. He said, and then I've seen all the Pentecostal people, and I thought, surely you were Pentecost. And now I hear you say you were a Baptist. But I don't get that. I said, oh, that's easy, Dad. I'm a Pentecostal Nazarene Baptist. <laughs> so that, that's what it is. We just represent Methodist, Baptist, all of you, everybody. We're all one in Christ Jesus. But now each one of us wants to think that our church is the church. You ought to do that. That's exactly right. Now, being that I'm representing all of it, let's go back and find out what the faith is. A lot of people say, well, I don't go there because that's against my faith. My faith don't teach that. There's only one faith. There's only one church. One body. you believe that? There's only one church. And that church, you don't join it at all. You're, you're born into the church. I've been with the Branham family this coming April the 6th. I've been in the Branham family 44 years, and they never did ask me to join the family. <laughs> See? Why? I was born to Branham. I'm a Branham by birth. So that just makes me a Branham. <laughs> See? I don't have to join the family because I just belong to it. <laughs> and that's the way it is. You don't have to join the church. You just belong to it. That's all. You're just born into it. And when you're born of the Spirit of God, you become a son of God and a daughter of God. And without that, you just belong to the church then. But when you're born again, you belong to Christ. And we must be born again. There's one fundamental doctrine that I believe, that's St. John 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he will in no wise enter the kingdom. No matter how sincere, our sincerity has nothing. Go down the Ganges River this afternoon. 
Watch them mothers take their little babies and throw them in, sacrifice them to crocodiles to appease the gods of the Nile. You find out where there's... Try yours one time. See how sincere you are outside of their sincerity. Go in China and watch how they, uh, they break their feet and disfigure themselves. And over in India, they run spears through their nose and uh, splinters through their fingers and lay on beds of spikes and cut them, some of them with their hands up like that and shut their fists until their fingernails would grow through the back of their hands for as many as 40 years, saying, I'll never put my hand down until I get ease to my soul. Try your sincerity one time against that. Take a great big bowl of fire like this, and he has to walk through that bunch of fire like that to please his gods and so forth. Try your sincerity against that one time. See? And torture and torment themselves. Sincerity has nothing to do with it. There's just one law God required that you must be born again. That's right. If you're not born again, then you're just not there. That's all. I had to be born in order to be a human, no matter what it was. I had to be born. There's no way of making me up mechanically. I had to be born in order to be a human. I have to be born in order to be a Christian. That's just all. It's a birth, actually a birth. A man is regenerated, a new soul comes in. Now, there, let's go back. If you're going to look now with me for a little while into the face of the Scriptures. Now, the Scriptures is absolutely the fundamental truths of God. Now, if we're going to have to look at this, and I want you, if you will, to listen close now. I may not be able to put it together right. I just, I only speak by inspiration. And inspiration is just when you find it here, you grab it and hand it out. It's over here, you reach and get it and hand it out. It may be in an old-fashioned, sassafras way, but it'll do you good if you'll keep it. That's right. It does. It'll stick to your ribs <laughs> and hold you. It saved me, and it'll save you. I don't... Someone said you're not long ago when I went through almost a breakdown. They let me stay in the pulpit for eight days and nights without leaving, praying for the sick. I said I pray for all of them. There's just about three times as many, maybe more, when I stopped than I did when I started. A constant line, day and night, running. I slept against the side of the pulpit, drank orange juice and things, sitting inside the pulpit. And when I come out, I couldn't tell where I was at, and I was out for about eight months like that. In there, someone said, Brother Branham, did you, did, uh, you keep your religion doing all that time? I said, oh, no. It kept me doing that time. <laughs> I couldn't keep it. It keeps me. And that's the way Jesus Christ is. He keeps us. We don't keep him. He keeps us. It's not whether I can hold on. It's whether he held on or not. That's the main thing. It's what he done. What God did for me in Christ is what I am today. That's what you are, by the sovereign grace of God. Now, in order, if you went out here and looked at your field, and a big field was all plowed up and fixed up real nice, and there's something planted in there, the only way that you're going to know what's planted in there is go back and raise up the clods and look under there and see what the seed is. You'll find out what kind of crop you'll have by the kind of seed you got planted. Is that right? Well, the Bible said that we are sown with the incorruptible seed of God. Imperishable. It cannot perish. God's Word can't perish. Now, every seed will bring forth of its kind. Now, let's go back and find today in this great age that we live in one of the greatest, darkest times of all the history outside of the dark ages that I could ever think of what little history I've read. We're living in it right now. When 2,000 years of Christian teaching, and yet the world two years ago hatched out 13 million infidels. Just think. Think of that. 
the darkest time that they ever seen. We got the very best colleges we ever had. We got the very best schools we ever had. We got some of the best educated men that ever stood in the pulpit. And we got less Christianity than the world's known in years and years. That's true. Just like doctors. We got the best doctors we ever had. We got the best science we ever had. We got the best medicine we ever practiced with. We got the best hospitals we ever know, the best trained nurses, and got more sickness than the world ever heard of. Because we got more sin and unbelief than the world ever heard of. That's exactly right. In the day of what we call civilization, we become uncivilized. We take the wrong road at it. I say uh, many times, I'm not talking about the group that I'm speaking to this afternoon, I'm talking the world in whole. It's a whole lot easier to talk. I can take a child of eight years old and make him see Jesus Christ a thousand times quicker than I can a man with a d two degrees out of some college somewhere. He's just a smart, he, he just knows it all and you can't tell him nothing and he's just got his mind set and he won't, he won't humble himself. Salvation in Jesus Christ and the power of healing, the power of God, there's no great mystery, it's something just right next to you. Why, my, it's just as simple as one, two, three. Just believe God, that's all there is to it. It's just that simple. You tell your little girl you're going to get her something, she just believes it, that's all. Watch children when they get the pulpit. Watch and see if every one of them isn't healed because they just believe it, that's all. Watch them when they're called on the platform out there. No matter what's wrong with them, when they're called out, watch them jump to their feet, no matter if they're crippled, blind, whatever it is, watch them receive it right now. But the elderly ones will sit around and say, now wait, I can't move, I haven't moved this foot for a long time. A child won't think of that and just jump to his feet right now. He'll do. But we try to figure it all out. We've got to figure it out. What if Peter stopped that night to figure out, now Lord, you told me to walk on the water. Now let me see, now I'm strictly a scientist. And I know the formula of water is H2O. Well, no man can walk on hydrogen and oxygen. There's no need to me trying that. Well, you ask me something impossible. Then Peter never would have walked on the water. The only thing he never figured out how it was, he just took God at his word and went walking on. That's what we got to do. Don't try to figure out how God's doing these things. Just accept it and go on. What if Moses turned aside to see the burning bush? He said, wait, let me pick some of them leaves off. I'm going to take them out to the laboratory to find out why the chemical... Uh, of this leaf that it doesn't burn. The fire's all right. Well, he'd have never approached God. But he took off his shoes and come humbly and sat down. And God spoke to him right out of the burning bush. That's where you've got to approach God. Humbly, taking his word. No matter what it looks like, there, God, you said so, I believe it. And that settles it. Now today, let's find out why we got this crop of people that we've got. Now, if this tickles a little bit, I just feel something coming up, feeling kind of religious right now. <laughs> so I just something coming in my mind. All right, maybe the Lord will bless us. Now let's go back over in Genesis and, and pick up the, uh, the beginning. We'll find out everything that we've got today originated in Genesis. Genesis is the seed chapter of the Bible. Everything began in Genesis. All right, because Genesis, the word Genesis means the beginning. And it's the seed chapter where God sowed the seed of everything and uh, the evil one sowed his seed and God sowed his seeds and here the crops are coming up of the earth just exactly the way God said. We take, for instance, the word Babylon. We see it appear in Genesis. First it was called the garden gates, I believe, or the gates to heaven. And next thing it was called was confusion. And we find out that Babylon 
uh, started over there in the beginning, and it was the first uh, a place of idolatry. We find out that it's in Genesis, then we find it over here in the middle of the Bible, and then we find it over in Revelations, appearing again. See, it's come out of Genesis, come up babbling all along, right on out, and it goes to seed in Genesis. Now, in Genesis, we'll have to start with two boys. That's where the human race sprang from Adam and Eve. And out of Adam and Eve, of course, she had to have daughters. If she did not, someone has often wondered, the old question was, where did Cain get his wife? Cain had Mary's sister. He couldn't have done nothing else because they wasn't, the Bible seldom ever records a woman's birth. It's always man. And at, at the Bible, the day America, I'm, you're my sister. See? But look. There's only one place in the whole universe that gives a man his credit, that's God gives it to him. Today, the God of America is a woman. That's right. Strip one of these little women off and set them down here on the beach somewhere with their bathing suits on it. She'll send more men to hell and all the bootleg joints you got in the city. That's right. She's America's God. She, she makes man fall anything she wants to. She know that devil knows that in the beginning. That's the reason he chose the woman. Now the woman is redeemed and she can be a sister and godly. But brother, what we need today is some more good old-fashioned God-sent Holy Ghost-born mothers to raise children right. Talk about juvenile delinquencies, parent delinquencies, where it lays at. That's exactly right. Talk about the illiteracy of Kentucky. Some of us people live out of there and talk about the liter- how dumb and they are up there. Well, let me tell you something. If some of those old mammies would let their see their daughter out carrying on the way some of them do down here on these beaches, brother, she wouldn't get up out of bed for a week. She wouldn't be able. She'd top one of them hickory trees and beat what skirt she had on her left off. And I think if we practiced that a whole lot more around Palm Beach and the rest of the places around here, we'd have a better social standing and a better moral in our country. Amen. That may be old-fashioned, flat-footed, brother, but it's the truth coming from God's Word. I believe that we're getting out of our places and things. It's the truth. I'm not here to tell you how to dress and what to dress. That's between you and God. But listen, when a person gets right with God, God will take care of the rest of it. That's right. I don't have no rule and say you have to do this and wear your dresses and your skirts and man has to do this. There's no rule. Just like up in my country, he's an oak tree, a little old scrub oak. It holds its leaves all winter long. When springtime comes, you don't have to go pick off the old leaf so the new one will come on. Just let the new life come up, the old leaf drops off. And if a man or woman's born of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit drops off the old life, and the new life comes on. Amen. Oh, it's such a pity to see the condition of our nation, to see how we're polluted. It's not us. I've said a million times, I'm not afraid of Russia ever hurting us or any other nation. Some of the other nations is warring against us. That's not what scares me. It's our own rottenness right among us is what's polluting us. It's not the robin that pecks on the apple that hurts it. It's the worm at the core of the apple what kills the apple. It's our own conditions here. What we're doing now breaks the backbone of any nation. Just, just demoralize womanhood and watch what happens to it. Read your history back and find out. And there's the fall of this nation as sure as anything in the world. You're not long ago I preached on... They, uh, the subject there in my own hometown, <laughs> they had them all out, and I preached on the overthrow of the United States government. And I took it from over in the Bible where the, the evil spirits went out, lying spirits, and got into the prophets and caused them to tell a lie and to get uh, uh, this Ahab up there to take his life. 
Now, I said the evil spirit of down when I went into Paris and down in those places there are so demoralized, I never thought that human beings could stoop as low. And every fashion that we have originates right there in Paris. Comes over here to Hollywood, out through the screens and everything. You all sit and look at them, and the little girls and boys go in there, come out and impersonate them actors, and some of them married four or five times and three or four different husbands and wives, and makes that an example. Brothers, if there's any example, we are taken out of God's Bible. That's exactly right. Yes, sir, there's where our crop started. Look back down in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Back in the beginning, there was two boys that come out, Cain and Abel. All right, I want you to notice them as they come. Both boys, after they were turned from the Garden of Eden, which laid east of Eden, going through the streets over in Palm Beach this morning, I thought, look here at these lovely big homes, just like a Garden of Eden. Fallen sons of God has built them. We know that it's in their hearts God intended them to have them, but everyone's going to have to die and leave them. But we're going to one someday. Hallelujah. Or we'll never leave it no more. We'll be there forever. Man, I was thinking as we was passing along there of those wonderful thoughts, how Eden must have been. And then when man sinned, I have my thought, my conception of it. You can have yours. But God drove them out. An angel stood at the gate and begin to guard the gate, that no one could come in or out of that gate to keep them away from the tree of life. Now, the tree of life, I believe, was Jesus Christ. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood has everlasting life. He is the tree of life. God was a guarding it with a cherubim, an angel with a flaming sword. Now, then when Cain and Abel realized that they were mortal beings and had to die someday, then they come to find favor before God. And each one of them, Cain was a pillar of the soil, Abel was a shepherd. And notice, each one of them come to worship God. Now, right here where I want to base my thought for the next 15 or 20 minutes. Now, here come the two boys. Now, one of them was Cain, Satan. The other was Abel from Adam, which was of God. Watch both of them. It's a very beautiful picture today of the churches. Now, here where you'll start, I'm going to put the signs and wonders, vice versa, fundamentalism, and find out where, how true it is. Now, notice, Cain and Abel come up to worship God. Both of them did. Now, Cain brought his sacrifice, Abel brought his. Now, both of them were born to the same mother. Now, Cain was just as sincere, I believe, as Abel was. He would never come. He was just as much as a believer as Abel was. Fundamentally and worshiping, he was just as fundamental as Abel was. Both of them. Both boys realized they were lost. Both boys wanted to find favor with God. Both boys brought a sacrifice. Both boys worship. Both boys belong to church. If a church sacrifice and worship is all that God requires and God condemned Cain, he's unjust in doing so. Correct. He'd be unjust. For if worship's all God requires, Cain worshiped just as same as Abel did. And perhaps had a more beautiful worship than what Abel did. I'd imagine Cain being the anointed of Satan, 
Satan's son who came down, and I'd like to show you a little picture there, too, in a minute, of Cain and Abel. How that when they came, Cain seemed to bring his sacrifice, it was probably way more beautiful than what Abel's was. Cain was a pillar of the soil, and he had, he had lilies and beautiful things to decorate his altar. Now look, I want you to get this, and someday before Almighty God, where we'll all stand, you'll find out that this ain't too far wrong. Watch Cain in his nature. He was natured after his dad, Satan. And when he come, I want you to see he made a beautiful sacrifice, perhaps decorated with lilies and everything, like here in, in our land. Every Easter, a minister told me not long ago of a certain big denominational church, he said, Brother Branham, I just don't know what to do. He said, I, 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 every time when people come on Easter, said, I, I bid them uh, Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, because we won't see them no more till next Easter. And they're members of my church. I said, Sir, you won't believe it. But the reason they don't come, they have nothing in them to draw them. Here, some time ago when I was a boy, I was coming down a pole, I was working for a light company. And I'd, I had to turn off electric lights. And I went over there and I had to collect a bill across the street. There's a little old girl in there. And she, I knocked on the door and she comes to the door and she said, uh, uh, who are you? And I said, I'm with the public utilities. I believe the, lady, uh, the bookkeeper told me that you'd forgotten to send it. Oh, yes, said Mother Senate. And said Mother was going to send it and she left it here. said, will you take it? I said, yes, ma'am. She gave me the bill. I marked it paid. Started to hand it to her, and one of these here old jig dancers or whatever what it is, come on with that saw and the fiddle and carrying on and playing some kind of a little old uh, boogie woogie music, whatever what it was. And that girl had on a little old clothes there about enough to water shotgun, and it was pitiful. Listen, I got two girls, and it's, it's, they call it suntan. <laughs> if one of mine, if God lets me live, she'll get a suntan if she puts it on. But Charlie Brand and my daddy's son will give her the tanning with a barrel slap just as hard as I can give it to her. That's the kind of tanning she needs. Absolutely. Out there like that, no one of those corruption of the world. How can you man and women? Uh, you man, I, you're going to get angry with me. You just might as well get started. But you man that'll let your wives go out and act like that and smoke cigarettes and walk around, that shows how much man's in you. That's right. A real true-blooded man won't permit such stuff as that. That's right. Brother, that may be hard to digest, but if it is, take it because it's good for you. Amen. That's exactly right. I'll tell you, a real red-blooded man, my wife may do it sometimes. When she does, that's the day she leaves the Branham home. That's exactly right. I wouldn't permit it. By the grace of God, I couldn't permit it. That's right. And when man will stand up. Excuse me, that thing's got more voice than I have. But look, I'm not excited. I know where I am. I know what I'm talking about, too. Now, look, that's right. This little girl started across the floor hollering, tootly tootly. And when this, she said, she's going to have some kind of an old barn swing dance or something, and she got down there to, to the radio, and she sort of kissed to that guy through the radio. So excited, she didn't even know I was at the door. She said, Toodaloo, honey, I'll see you out there tonight. And I thought, yeah, sure, you'll be there. No doubt at all. You'll be there. And 
she walked over, she kept going around the floor hollering, you know, like she was dancing. She said, oh, excuse me. She said, I just love to dance so well. I said, I noticed it. And, and she said, uh, she said, oh, I just love it. I said, I, I believe that. I said, here's your change. And, and I went on back and I was coming down the pole. Dr. Brown came of another great church. He said, Billy, I just wonder. said, I, I had so many people come to my church. I had them to sign a card that they had promised to come to my church at least Sunday school, six months out of the year, said, I sent out 500 cards. How many of you think responded to it Sunday? I said, I don't know. said, two. <laughs> I told him that story. I said, you think that Mr. Clayton McMitchell will ever have to make that woman sign a card to be out there at that old barn dance tonight? No, sir, because in her heart is a spirit that feeds on that. And if a man's born of God when the church bell rings, you can't stay away from it. There's something on the inside of it that calls out the deep, speaking to the deep. You've got to go. Amen. You've got to get right here, brother. And if that spirit in there is still worshiping the world, the love of God's not even in you. If it takes the world and loves God, you don't have to sign a card to go to church or make pledges. You'll be there when the door opens. You can't stay away from it. Something on the inside of you is pulling you. You just can't help from coming. That's right. It's something that takes place in here. It's a birth, and that's what the church needs today. Until that old carnal Adam, Adamic nature is killed in a man, he's still a sinner. He might go to church every so often. He might put his name on the book. As long as those things are in him, he's still out of line with God. Amen. I feel pretty good. Look, I want to tell you something. Brother Cain and Abel back there in the beginning, there come Cain up and he worshiped God, knelt down on his knees, Oh, my, he had all these lilies laying around like Easter we'll have. People spend literally millions of dollars across the country to put lilies on the altar to decorate their altar. God don't want the lily on the altar. He wants you on the altar. God don't care about the lily. If you're the one, the altar wasn't made for a lily. It was made for you and all you have and all you are. You ought to place yourself on the altar and say, God, here am I. Amen. That's what we need. That's what this Palm Beach needs this afternoon. Not a new mayor, not a new police force. It needs a good old-fashioned St. Paul's revival and the Bible Holy Ghost back into the churches and men and women getting right with God. And you see signs and wonders flying like a sparks on an anvil. If you'd only get that started. Brother, until you do it, we're lost and we'll never be able to have a revival. America, Billy Graham, you're not long ago having a certain meeting. He went through and he said he had 30,000 converts or 20,000, I believe, in six weeks. They went back six weeks later, they couldn't find 20 of them. What's the matter? Because he said, say, I accept Christ as my personal Savior and sat down. Emotional worked up. That's the reason we can't have a revival. You've got to get back to God's faith again in the Bible, where men and women become born again and regenerated by the Holy Ghost. Then that man can't help from being a Christian. He's a Christian by birth. That's right. You don't have to pledge him and give him cards and visit him. If he's born again, brother, you'd almost have to borrow the door to keep him out. Amen. Amen. You got the cart before the horse, brother. That's what's the matter. You got to get Christ first. In the sin of the church, you got to put Christ first. That's what we need today. That's what America needs today. What the whole nation, the whole world needs today is an old-fashioned revival, stirring God-sent revival. Cain, sure he was religious, just as religious as the other was. Religious as a covering. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when they found out they were naked, 
They made themselves a religion. Find out just as soon as Adam found out he was, he was separated from God, and instead of trying to find God, he tried to hide from God. That's the nature of man today. It's still his nature. Instead of coming out and confessing, saying, I've been a church member for ten years, I know nothing about God, you try to hide behind the name of the church. Right. We all do it. We Methodists, we Baptists, we Presbyterian, we Pentecostals, we all do it. We're guilty before God. Amen. The truth. Yes, sir. Now I want you to notice, instead of coming out, and it ought to have been Adam running through the garden hollering, Father, Father, where are you? Father, Father. It was the Father running through the garden hollering, Adam, Adam, where art thou? When he found out he had to meet God, he made him an apron out of fig leaves. How typical of today. An apron was a covering. Religion means a covering. And he made his apron out of fig leaves. He placed it around him. And it was all right as long as Eve and Adam were standing back in the, the little church back there talking about, well, now when God calls again, we'll go out. But when they had to face God, they found out fig leaf religion wouldn't work. And every man and woman that's hiding behind some church creed will find out in the day of their death, fig leaf religion won't work. God said, he said, oh, I'm naked. He knew it when he had to meet God. He said, I'm naked. He said, who told you he's naked? Oh, then they begin to pass the buck one to the other, and it's a street expression. The woman thou givest me, and this, that, and the other. And God went and got some skins and made them aprons. In order to get skins, he had to kill something. Something had to die, substitutionary. And the only thing in the world is not the Methodist, Baptist, or Presbyterian church that'll cover your sins. God killed something. His son at Calvary. That's your covering. And the only covering there is to the human being. Accept it. No matter how radical it stands, the religion of Jesus Christ has always been considered fanaticism to the world. I'll prove that to you in a few minutes. Right. Notice them now. Here they are, out there worshiping. Both of them, both sincere, both just screaming up to God, giving him praise and everything. Cain was a long way from being a communist. He was a believer. Now look here. If the only thing you have to do is to believe that God is, then Cain was just. There you are. That kind of going to let that soak down a little bit because the orange going to the fifth rib on the left side. See? If all that you have to do is believe that God is, and you will kneel down and worship Him, Cain was justified. The Bible said that even the devil believes that to be the truth. And the devil publicly confessed Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. That didn't save them. Brother, we better get straightened out. There's going to be a mistake one of these days. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong. You better take what the Bible said. You've got to be born again, not mythical. Think you're born again. But when the Spirit of God absolutely kills everything in the world in you. And you become regenerated, a new creature in Christ. And you know that old things have passed away. If you still love the world, things of the world, the Bible says the love of God's not even in you. Amen. That's plain. The brother's not whitewashed. It'll wash you white. <laughs> That's right. Excuse me, slobbering. <laughs> I told you I wasn't a preacher in the first place. I've been eating a lot of grapes out of Canaan and causing me to slobber. But I'm glad I'm in Canaan. Amen. 
Oh, brother, what we need today is an old stirring of the Holy Spirit again. Brother, it had to come to me before God ever manifested Himself. We need another rushing mighty wind sense. That's right, like today on the day of Pentecost. They were all religious and followers of Jesus, but they had to go and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Is that true? And listen here, women. You thought I'd been scorching you. Listen to this. Do you realize that up in there, when they all went up to 120 to pray, that when they, they never done like we Baptists do, shake hands and put her name on the book and say, yes, I'm born again. They didn't have it like that. There's no such a scripture as that in the Bible. And we Catholic people who come lick out our tongue and take the Holy Eucharist and say we got the Holy Ghost, no such scripture in the Bible. We Methodists go in on probation for six months, and there's no such scripture in the Bible. But the Bible said when the day of Pentecost had fully come, there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And the power of God so enclosed those people and anointed them so they went out into the street screaming and dancing and hollering and acting like a bunch of drunk people. That's the scripture, thus saith the Lord. And listen, women, the blessed Virgin Mary had to get it that way. And if God made the mother of God have to come that way, how much more do you have to come that way? But we need life. Not in some mythical, theological make up in some theory of man. We need the old-fashioned baptizing of the Holy Spirit back into the human lives that makes new creatures in Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm not amening myself, but it means so this. I can't help from saying it. Watch, my brother. Yeah, Cain was uh, justified if God only required that. But God rejected him because his spirit only looked to the things temporal. He was the nature of his daddy. His daddy wanted a great big beautiful church in heaven, better than Michael. And he got kicked out of heaven for it. Here's his nature and Cain down here beautifying the altar. And here it is yesterday. Trying to make a big fine church. And you Pentecostal people are just as bad off as the rest of them. Right. You think because you got a good crowd coming to your church, the society, the city, or something like that, that's going to make a difference? You make big plush seats, God will meet you in a street corner, in an alley, or anywhere. You're a lot better off when he's in the missions. Amen. Oh, my. What a pity. What a disgrace that we are to call ourselves Christians today, wearing the name of Christianity. Some of us know more about God than a hot and top would know about Egyptian knife. Hey, excuse me, brother. It just takes a lot of room for me to run around, I guess. Notice, my brother, I'm sincere. I mean this with all my heart. Cain knelt down and he worshipped God. And Abel worshipped God. But Abel had a foresight. Cain said, apples brought us out of the Garden of Eden. He offered fruit. How ignorant. Same thing goes on today. Beauty, he could appease God with a nice, beautiful church and an altar. How ignorant. Same thing today is after his daddy. See? But Abel knew that it was blood. Amen. Brother, it takes blood to take us back there. Abel goes out and gets a little old lamb, wraps a grapevine around his neck. I don't guess there's any hemp in that day. Here he comes, not beautiful, 
pulling a little old lamb up to the altar like that to a rock. Nothing pretty about it. Puts them in the mind of a free-born church. <laughs> Nothing beautiful about it. Picks up the little fellow and throws him up on the rock. Picks up a rock. I guess he didn't have any lance. Picked up a sharp rock, throwed his little head back, began to chop his throat. You ever hear a lamb die? The most pitiful thing you ever heard in your life? You hear a lamb dying. But there, that poor little lamb, just a dying and bleeding and blading and the blood flying out like that, bathing his little wool. God looked down and said, That's right. That man was spiritual. He had a foresight of something. What was he speaking of? 1900 years? Or better, after that, yes, about 4,000 years it was. After that, the Lamb of God was led away up Calvary's mountain. And on the road up there, they nailed him to the cross, beat him in the back for the healing, striped his body all over, his bloody locks dripping off of his shoulders, mostly God spit all over him, crying, My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Adam couldn't understand the language of the Lamb. He was speaking another language. And Jesus Christ died speaking another language. My God, Eliah, Eliah. Sure was. Perfect, beautiful, holy, unbelievable type almost. There it was. How pro and calm. Watch there. There was pain and all this beauty. His fine big altar. His glorious worship. My, just as pious and beautiful as it could be. Here was Abel, little old sheep brought up here, not very much to it, no, just a big old rock laying there, and he's beating his little life out of it, a blatant. But what was he speaking of? Abel had foresight. He was born of Adam, which was the Son of God. And the church today that's born of Christ, the Son of God, has a foresight and a recompense to the reward that's going to come. They don't care what the world says, how old-fashioned we're called, how much this said there. We know what God said, and that's what we're looking to. Amen. Yes, sir, let them go ahead and say what they want to. That doesn't make any difference. God's people have always been a peculiar people. And now watch, I want you to notice something else. We'll hurry. I want you to see this. Here comes the king. Then when he looked down, he seen Abel's sacrifice was accepted. He become jealous. Brother, you find a whole lot of that today. Don't tell nobody, but it is. That's right. Jealousy. Oh, they're a bunch of nitwits. They're, there's nothing to them. They haven't even got education. They don't know nothing about how they know. We got our degrees. We know what we're doing. Well, go ahead. Let the blind lead the blind. They'll all fall in the ditch. That's right. We know all about it. Yes, sir. And the first thing you know, he goes over there, and, and what he does, he becomes jealous. He becomes angry. Where did that come from? That never come from God. That come from the devil. And he went out and murdered his brother. I want to show you a little parable here right quick. A lot of people only seen three crosses at Golgotha. There was four. There were four crosses. The cross was a tree. Is that right? Here was Jesus and a thief on the right, a thief on the left. Now, here was Judas went and hung himself on a sycamore tree. Is that right? Just as much cross as Jesus is on. The Bible said, Cursed is he that hangeth on a tree. Jesus that hung on a tree as a cross to take away, made a curse for him. Now look, here was the son of perdition come from hell, returning back to hell. Here was the son of God coming from heaven, returning back to heaven. Perfectly, Judas and Jesus. The reincarnation. Judas and Jesus. Both of them brothers. One was a pastor. The other one was a treasure. And... 
this, un, this one thief on the left said, If, that question mark on God's word, If thou be, save thyself and us to show your power. Let's see you do a miracle now. If thou be. And this other one said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There was Judas taking with him the unrepented sinner back to hell. Christ taking with him the repentant sinner. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Perfect. The gospel preacher, the church that believes God regardless of circumstance, they believe God anyhow. Go right on. Now, notice, we'll hurry through because we haven't got too much time. Let's take a little while now. Watch. From Cain and Abel. Here starts two trees. Watch them coming up now. Here comes two trees. Start right there. Now we're right into them today. I want you to get this. Right in them today. The first thing you know they started up, it's always been pro and con. Now if you look in the ark, in the time of the Andalusian destruction, there was a dove and there was a crow. Both of them as birds, both of them in the same place. The lower part was for the creeping things, the middle part was for the fowls. No one is, is right in the same category. That dove, he said, well, I got wings. Crow say, I have two. They were both fowls, but one of them was of God and the other was of the devil. They turned one loose, and here's how they could tell by their appetite. The crow was satisfied to fly from one old dead carcass to another and eat. That's just like the man who confesses to be a Christian today and still smokes, drinks, and runs around like he used to. And I don't care how much church you belong to, you're still a sinner in the sight of God. But when they turned that dove loose, she couldn't stand that smell. She had to come back. Why? A nature of that dove, the reason the dove couldn't eat those things, it has no gall. It can't digest them things. And that's the way a Christian is born again. The gall of bitterness is taken away, and you can't digest the world no more. The things of the world. It's all dead. Watch it come on up. There's Esau and Jacob. Let's take them just for a moment. Why, Esau was way better, more, more of a gentleman, Christian-type man, what we'd call today, than Jacob. Well, sure he was. Esau taking care of his old blind daddy. He herded the cattle. He went out hunting, got some deers, and fed his old daddy. And Jacob was just a little old fellow laid around home, kind of lazy. But what was the difference with Jacob? Jacob had recompense to God that birthright. Is that right? A perfect type day. Somebody say, well, now here's a good man. He goes to church and he goes every Sunday. He's a good payer in the church. He belongs to the best church in the city. He educates his children. He does all. That's very fine. That's good as a citizen. But brother, that has nothing to do with Christianity. Nothing. You go to church, have your name on every church book there is in Palm Beach or, or Florida. It'll never do you one bit of good. Although the preacher can half-mask the flag and say you went to heaven, but except you're born again, you're lost. Now, might as well get this clear and get it right. And notice, then the first thing you know, how God vindicated his servant, Jacob, how he brought him out and proved by signs and wonders that that was his. Now, always God has vindicated his believers. Well, bear that in mind. God has vindicated his believers. Not how fundamental you are. We are not judged by fundamentalism, although I believe fundamentalism is right. But we're not judged by fundament, how fundamental we are, how orthodox we are to our belief. We're judged by God's election and vindication. Notice, here's a beautiful picture. Here comes Israel coming up out of Egypt. Israel. 
and they come to the land of Moab. And when they got to Moab, well, here come, they had a prophet, a preacher up there, and he was a great man doing great things. So Balak said, come down now. I've got a lot of money here. I'll, I'll give you if you'll come down and curse this fanatic coming up, this holy roar coming up out of Egypt down there. Go across through my lands. Come put a curse on him. Although I know you're a good religious man. Well, sure, Balaam went out. You know what happened? The old mule turned around, spoke in tongues to him, tried to get him to straighten out, but he wouldn't do it. He went on down anyhow, and when he got down there to the place, why, I want you to notice now how fundamental. Now, those Moabites were not infidels. They were believers. Cain on the left, Abel on the right. Watch them growing up through the Bible. Cain on the left, Abel on the right. Now watch. Here comes the prophet down. He said the first thing we got to do, we got to be fundamental about this because God requires it. Build me seven altars. That's exactly what God said do. Fundamentally, he was right. He said, I want you to put seven bullocks on there. That's fundamentally right. That's what the Bible said. And not only that, but I want you to put seven rams on there. Of course, Jesus Christ is coming someday, the Messiah. We got to make a sacrifice for that. Speaking of the coming of Christ. That's just as fundamentally as the Bible could read it. And there was up here that bunch of great fundamental teachers, and there stood Israel right down there, just offering the same amount of sacrifices, the same kind of sacrifices. Both of them were perfectly, fundamentally right. Now, if the word only is what God requires, one was just as right as the other. Is that right? God required seven altars. God required seven bullocks. God required seven rams. For it's perfect. The, uh, seven is a perfect. The day of worship. Seven days and so forth. And uh, 7,000 years in the millennium, or 6,000 in the seventh millennium. And so everything in the Bible types and, and you know, in threes, sevens, twelves, twenty-fours, and forties, and fifties. All right, and in this seven worship, God was just as perfectly satisfied as fundamental as these fundamentals were teaching, just the same as he was with Israel. But here, watch, a group of believers standing up here now, jealous of these, his brother, Israel, and here was, what was he jealous about? Now, both of them, scripturally, was doing exactly the same thing, teaching the exact same doctrine. Amen. Now I do feel religious. Notice. Here they were. I want you to notice it. I'm going to bring in these trees, and I'm going to bring it to Palm Beach, Florida. But God's help in a few minutes. All right. Here they are. We'll bring it right straight to Palm Beach, Florida, and prove from Genesis right on here and going out in Revelation. It's the truth. Here they are standing here. All right. These believers up here are jealous of these believers. Why? God's with them believers. That's the reason. And he said, come curse me then. So they built the sacrifices and altars, put the bullocks on there, and all the great robes, the princes now, all the great doctors and bishops and archbishops and all of them stood around with the robes, around these smoldering sacrifices. Oh, great Jehovah, our land don't want to be polluted with that bunch of holy rollers. Oh, don't let them come in this way. 
You, somebody said, was they holy rollers? Sure they were holy rollers. Was they? When they crossed out of... Don't get angry at that. When they crossed out of Egypt, come through the separating Red Sea, representing the blood of Jesus, Miriam, the prophetess, and Moses, the prophet, Moses got so full of the Spirit till he raised his hands and began to sing in the Spirit. Is that right? And Miriam got so happy, she grabbed a tambourine and began to beat the tambourine, began to dance, and the daughters of Israel followed her dancing, then the Spirit, down the bank to the river. If that ain't a holy roar, I've never seen one. Sure, they were holy rollers. And they had divine healing in their services. Holy rollers. They had a smitten rock, a brass serpent, and they had a pillar of fire they was following. Holy rollers. Sure they were. They had signs and wonders and miracles among them. Is that right? But fundamentally, this bunch of fundamentals was just as fundamentally on the Word as they were. But God was vindicating His people. Hallelujah. There you are. Oh, God have mercy. When I think of the day how Satan's got the eyes of man so blinded. The actual truth. The shame. Now, notice this as they come up. How different. Then, they offered their sacrifice just as pious. Well, if Israel would come up and say, wait a minute here, I want to prove you about Scripture. They couldn't have said a word. They'd shut their mouths right quick because they had the word. And the fundamental believer today will shut your mouth. Yes, sir, I got the word. The word says so. But God bless you, that's truth. But wait, has God vindicated you yet? Have you got signs and wonders in your church? That's where God always lives. You see signs and wonders because he's God. He's the creator. And his people believe him that way. God made this world that you're sitting on this afternoon. Only thing you've done is said, let there be. And this world that you're sitting on is the word of God materialized. He believed things which was not, as though they were, because his own word said, let it be. And any man that's born again of the Spirit of God, or Son of God, when God said so, no matter what the circumstances is, it's so anyhow. I don't care where all the teachers and the doctors of the whatever it is in the world would say this, that, or the other. He believes it's the truth because God said so. How's it going to be? I don't know. God said so. How are you going to receive the Holy Ghost? I don't know. God said so. He told me I could have it. He said, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, speak with new tongues, take up servants, drink daily things, lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. He said, These signs shall follow them that believe. Oh, we say the believer today is the man who goes to church and pays his tithes. He has his pew. He puts a window to the church. He's a good fellow. The Bible don't say one thing about that being a believer. See how we've taken our own traditions and made the law of God a non-effect? God said, these signs shall follow them believe. In my name they'll cast out devils, speak with new tongues. If they take up serpents or drink deadly things, they'll not harm them. If they lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Here not long ago, there's a young boy went off to a cemetery or seminary. <laughs> about the same. So went off to get him. Always a seminary minister. I have nothing against it. I had some of it myself. But it always reminds me of an incubator chicken. 
hatched out mechanically. Church, 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 and ain't got no mammy to go to. All we learn is theology. What we need is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's a shame that we've adopted theology to take the place of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I may be deaf in you, but I'm getting a blessing myself. <laughs> All right. If I'm the only one, I'm swelling out. <laughs> Notice. Oh, my. I would like to see this whole Palm Beach this afternoon with their hands up to God, praising God in an old passion meeting. I'll tell you, the power of God has sweeped this place. This place would be so dry from liquor in the next few days, a bootlegger had to prime himself a half hour to get enough moisture to spit. Amen. Right. Why we need a day of an old-fashioned Holy Ghost meeting. That'll solve the problem. Amen. Don't say it for a joke. I don't believe in joking in the pulpit, but it's the truth. Amen. Yes, sir. Fundamental. Sure, he's just as fundamental right as the next man was. He was just as fundamental right. But now what? Balak, the king, said, Now, look over here, and he showed him the utmost parts of Israel. I wonder if we hadn't kind of looked at these people who preach divine healing, believe in the blessings of God, the utmost part. I believe we hadn't said, this man run away with this man's wife. I wonder if we Baptists and Methodists haven't done the same thing, just kept it course down. Don't tell me I've been with you. <laughs> That's right. I know it to be the truth. Yes, sir. Sure. Let me tell you, brother, sin is sin. Let it be where it may be. Like this little mother sent her boy away to the seminary to become a preacher. Oh, my. It's all right. I believe it's a good thing. Sure it is. As long as there's a good spiritual college, send him away. But when you take him to these old coal farmer morgues, you know what a morgue is, where somebody's dead and they take him there and pump something in and keep him dead. That's just about the way it is. Take all the God out of him and learn him theology and send him back home worse than he was when he become. There, that's right. Here come this little old went into this seminary, and a little mother got sick. She'd taken pneumonia and thought she was going to die. They sent for a boy to come home. If she wasn't better in the next 24 hours, she had to come home. Well, then when the first thing you know, she quit writing. A few weeks after that, the boy took a vacation to come home. She wrote and told him she was all right. He said, Mother, I want to ask you something, Mother dear. said, Why, How did you get well so quick? So what did the doctor give you? She said, Oh, honey, i got something to tell you that you don't know about. She said, you know this little old mission downtown here where that bunch of you call fanatics worship? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Said, you know, that woman heard that I was sick and she come up here and the doctor done told me there wasn't nothing he could do. Both lungs was congested. He just had to stuff it out and he they didn't expect me to live overnight. And she heard about it and she come up here and said, won't you let our pastor come pray for you? Said, he believes in divine healing. Said, don't you? Oh, she says, I don't know nothing about it. So let my pastor come talk to you. So the pastor come up. He read Mark, uh, three, six, uh, Mark 16 to her, and it said, If any among you is sick, or so forth like that, and what to do, and these signs shall follow them, believe, they lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And said, You know, he read that out of the Bible, and I said, Well, if it's in the Bible, it's truth. So he, he prayed for me and laid hands on me, and honey, the next morning I was perfectly well. Oh, he said, Mother, you just don't know. said, Those fanatics never go to school. said, They don't know what it's all about. Well, I said, in the seminary, we've learned better than that. Oh, she says, you have. I said, yeah, we learned in the seminary, Mark 16 from the ninth verse on is uninspired. It's not even inspired. And the little woman said, glory to God, hallelujah. He said, mother, well, you're acting like one of them. I said, the very audacity. And she said, 
Well, hallelujah, son. So what's the matter, mother? Said, I was thinking, if God could heal me with uninspired words, what could he do with that's really inspired? Amen. Amen. That's right. If he could do that with uninspired, what about that that's really inspired? Brother, it's every bit inspired. I'll hang my soul on any of it. It's the truth. Just the thing of it is that our sluggishness won't meet God's requirement in faith. Looky here. Then I want you to notice just before I close now. Here come these fundamentals. My, they were going to put a curse on this shore in the utmost part. And so away went the prophet. He took up his parable to find the Spirit. And when he found the Spirit of God, God said, Don't you say a thing but what I put in your mouth. He said, All right. He went back to Moab. He said, Now he is showing him how ugly the king was, how bad this, this bunch of fanatics down there that believed in divine healing, that brass serpent there for healing. They looked at it when he got sick. Got well. <laughs> yep. They had blessings. They go to the rock when they were thirsty and drink and just rejoice. They just carry on awful. That's right. Pillar of fire hanging over them. God's blessing just to moving with them. He said, you see how bad they are? That's right. But when the prophet come back, God began to speak to the prophet. He said, I've not conceived iniquity in a Jacob. <laughs> I don't see him from the utmost parts because I beheld him from the mountaintop. And I've not found any iniquity in Jacob. Wow! His vindication was there. His power was there. There was a smitten uh, rock, a brass serpent, an atonement going before him with a sign of God over him with signs and wonders. See, the same thing from Cain and Abel. Now, not fundamental. Fundamental too, but signs are following the believers. These signs shall follow them that believe. Come right along with Jesus. Look at him for a few minutes. Oh, I think of that. How when he come, he was fundamental in doctrine, although it didn't agree with the priests in those days. And remember, those priests wasn't scallywags. They were gentlemen. They were holy and without blemish. Scholars, as good as we got today. Right. And they failed to recognize Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. They failed to recognize it because what did he do? He tore up their churches. He tore down their creeds. He said, you've taken your traditions and made the commandments of God not effect, you bunch of snakes in the grass. Oh, my. Oh, they said, now, we can't stand for that. Everybody goes to hear such stuff as that. He can just take his church papers and walk away. It hasn't changed a bit. The seeds are coming right on. Trees are going right on. The same. They didn't believe him. But why was he right and the rest of them was wrong? God was with him. And when they had to crucify him, in Acts 2 4, Acts, I mean 2 24, it said this Ye men of Israel, said, let it be known to you, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by signs and wonders and miracles, which God did by him in the midst of you all. Now, that's how they know he was a man of God. Because God was with him, performing signs and wonders. They were sitting back saying the days of miracles is past. There's no such a thing. That guy's a mind reader. He's a fanatic. Well, there's nothing to him. He don't even agree with our churches. He don't belong to any of them. Thank God for that. He stayed where God wanted him. Didn't make any difference. He preached the gospel uncompromised. He sowed like John the axe to the root of the tree, let the chips fall where they wanted to. But we need a day as another preacher like John the Baptist. Amen. That'll lay the axe to the root of the tree and let it line. Line up with God's word or line out. Amen. You line up, God will vindicate it with spiritual signs and wonders like he said he would. But today, we've accepted theology. Well, now, we know a little better. We're not that kind of fanatics. And 
And uh, we, we're just awake. See, he just explained it all away, blood and everything else, power, signs, wonders. And here he got nothing, no more than a lodge. That's right. Let me say this with reverence. I passed by one of your great churches this morning here in the city. And there stood, uh, looked to me like if the church is full, 20 or 30 percent of the members standing on the outside smoking cigarettes waiting between the services. Now, I heard a Baptist preacher say the other day, which is a good friend of mine, Dr. Schaefer, a dear, godly, beloved brother. Now, I'm not just saying about the Baptist, the Methodist has got that kind too. My associate pastor in my church is a Methodist. Masbury College is a godly, born-again, Holy Ghost-filled man. Yes, sir, old Mordecai F. Hammond, many of those old Baptists are filled with the Holy Ghost. Sure they are. God have mercy on me. Well, back in Kentucky, when we Baptists got the Holy Ghost, we didn't get it like you all do. You all walk up and shake hands with a preacher and be baptized and put your name on the book. We got out the altar beat one another back till we come through. We got something, brother. Yes, sir. That's right. That's what we need today is some more Baptists like that. This Baptist preacher said, sitting right here before me, brother, said, ten of my members as total drunkards and members of this church. Some of them live with other men's wives and everything else. Said, what if I try to put them out? Said, you members have put me out. And that's the way it's gone today. Denominations are breaking. God's pulling out his people, getting a church ready. Hallelujah. The very word church means a called out. Come out from among it, my people. Be separated, saith God, and I'll receive you. You can't ride in on your denomination. Denomination church ages are like Moses. It failed. It glory. Moses glorified himself instead of God and failed. But Joshua was right with him all the time, which has tucked Israel over to the promised land. And today the church denomination has glorified who can get the most members and who can get this majority and a million more and 44 and all these different slogans and things like that. And what have you got when you got them? Hallelujah. But Joshua, the signs and miracles and powers that's been with the church all the time and you're afraid to let it loose, that's the thing that'll take the church into glory in the rapture. Hallelujah. Don't be scared. That means praise our God. No, that won't hurt you. Notice, brother, here not long ago, I was up in British Columbia when I come back from Africa. Brother Bosworth, I was so tired I couldn't hardly stand up. This is going to take me on a little trip up there. I was going to preach at Dawson Creek for the Indians and Eskimos. They knowed I was a hunter and liked to hunt. I'd get into the mountains there. I'd get along with God working, worship. Here some time ago, I was setting up in the mountains in Colorado. I was hunting elk, and it was early in the fall, and the snow hadn't come yet to make the elk come down. I was setting up there, and oh, how was, my heart was a burning for God. I was about 35, 40 miles from civilization, about five horses packed up back there by myself, and I was walking along, come up a storm, it'll rain a while, blow a while, freeze a while, sun will come out, and you know how it is in fall of the year in the mountains. I was walking along there with my rifle, it come up a big rain, and I got in behind a tree in an old blowdown and waited there till the rain was over. I stand there with my head down, praising God. I said, oh God, how wonderful. You're the God of the mountain, you're the God of the valley, you're everywhere. The storm let loose. After a while, the wind is so cold, I looked, the sun peeked through the crevices in the mountain over there, and where the evergreens had froze, a big rainbow come across the valley. Oh, my. I believe God's everywhere, don't you? I looked out there, and I seen that rainbow. I said, yes, Lord, here I am way in the mountains. I see you under that rainbow. 
Sure. You made a covenant. I've seen Jesus in Revelations 1 sitting to look upon as Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the rainbow over him, a covenant. Oh, I begin to rejoice. Exactly, I heard an old gray wolf holler up here down the valley. The maid answered it. My mother's a half-breed, an Indian. Is this enough about me to make me love deep, calling you to the deep into that wild? And I heard the elk herd down here, and the aunt made things over here. Oh, I got to scream and cry. Oh, God, let me live here forever. Let me stay here. You're what I was born for. Let me live here. Listen to that old wolf howling under something in me stirring. Oh, how glorious. How wonderful. Oh, God, you live up here on top of these mountains. About that time, I heard a little old pine squirrel. Don't know what you know what they are. A little old fellow like that, the noisiest thing in the woods. He was sitting on a little old stump going, chatter, 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 like he's going to tear him in pieces. I thought, what you so excited about, little fella? And about that time, out from under the blow, that old blow down, come a great big eagle. Oh, what a master-looking big bird he was. He's sitting there in a big velvet eyes looking around. I thought, oh, that's what he was scared about. And I thought, now, Lord, me standing here worshiping, listening to wild calls and worshiping you. Well, how could you ever be? I believe God's everywhere. You can see him anywhere you want to look. He's just all around. He's just as tangible as the light is on my hands right here now. And I thought, well, why would you put that eagle before me? He's a scavenger. Why, why would that eagle come up here to break this? I thought, well, God, I'm going to look. Is there anything good about that eagle? I seen that eagle stand there, you know, and he's watching me. I thought, oh, he's scared of me. I said, hey, you know I could shoot you? Flashed them big eyes, looked at me. He wasn't scared of me. I know he wasn't scared of that little squirrel. So he just kept standing there looking like that. I thought, well, what makes you so brave? I can't understand. I said, God, I know you love bravery. You like men who will stand under the convictions. Stand there when you know you're right, stay. And I said, I know you love bravery. What makes that eagle so brave? I know he's brave. And why is I said, you know I can shoot you? Why, he knew that I didn't have a chance. My rifle was sitting against the tree. I put my hand on my rifle like I got him look over at me, bat them big eyes. I thought, well, what's you so brave about? And then I happened to notice he was moving his wings all the time. God gave him two wings. And he knew them wings about one big jump and a couple flops would be out of my reach. He trusted them wings. He knew them wings would carry him away from there. And as long as he could feel them wings there, he didn't care how much I put my hand on the rifle or how much that wood, the little squirrel chuttered at him there. He didn't care because God gave him two wings and he trusted it. I thought, and that's true. No matter what the devil says, as long as I can feel the Holy Ghost around me, I don't care what they say. Hallelujah. God bless your heart. God give me the Holy Ghost to escape everything with. Even, even everything, even death can't hurt you. Hallelujah. I'll fly away someday. I noticed him there. I said, praise God for the eagle. I looked at him like that. He got tired that little old squirrel sitting there. Chilling. He knew that I was his friend. He wasn't going to hurt him. And he looked at that little old squirrel. He just got tired. And he just made a great big jump like that. And he made about two flops. You know what he did? He just set his wings. And the first thing he knew, he just began to rise up. He never flopped his wings. He just set his wings. And every time them air current waves that come in over that mountain, he just ride up. Ride up. I stood there crying like a baby. I said, oh, God, thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, somebody been in there that thought they had an insane man out of the institution up there. Around, around, around the tree, I went as hard as I could go screaming at the top of my voice. Well, I didn't care what anybody thought. I was worshiping God. Make no difference to me. I have a little heart spell once in a while anyhow. So I'm like that, you know, worshiping. And I thought, oh, look at that big fella. 
He don't flop and try and flop and try like a lot of us people. Well, the Methodists don't treat me right. I'll take them, go over to the Baptist. The Baptists don't treat me right. I'll go over to the Pentecostals. And you're just packing your letter from place to place. You wore it out. Won't you put it in heaven and forget about it? Right. But what he did, he never flopped his wings. He just knew how to set his wings and ride the power when she come in. I thought, oh God, give us faith to know how to set our wings in your power. And just run away from this earthbound chatter, chatter, saying, little old squirrel sitting there, chatter, chatter, chatter. Days of miracles is fast. No such thing as that I need him. Ain't no such thing as that. Apostolic days is gone. He just rolled on away from it. Not flopping, just set his wings. He just rolled on. I thought, God, if that ain't real, I Run away from it. Just set your wings. When the power of God comes in, right up on it. <laughs> the power of God moves in right on up on it. The first thing you know, you can't even hear their sounds in well, if you don't belong to our church, you don't belong here. You don't. You're just riding on away from it. <laughs> on and on and on and on. My, how marvelous. Coming down through British Columbia, I was hunting a big old grizzly bear. I was 1,100 miles from a hard top road. And I was way back in there, and I got turned around. I'd get my way out to give me enough time, so I just, and God is my helper. I got lost back there, and it's coming dark. I said, well, I know which direction to go. You got one little spot to find. So I took off, and it's way late. The moon come out, and I passed by an old burnover. And I thought, isn't that strange? And the moon was out, and all at once when I passed by, it looked, it looked spooky. Great big old blistered trees where the fire burned them. One time they were great towering pines. Put on your jacket now. Great towering pines. Stood there alive and doing things. But the fire come and burned them all down. And I thought, Lord, what, what's this about? Then directly I stopped my horse and tied it up. It was about 9 o'clock at night. I looked around. The moon shined on them old blistered trees. Put me in a mine of tombstone somewhere in a graveyard. And the wind began to come down out of the heavens, blowing, and made the morning for a sound. I thought, oh, what a spooky place. I looked around like that. I thought, well, my, I don't. Well, look at there. Now, what did you stop me here for, Lord? I looked all around. I thought, well, that's right. I remember Joel said, what the caterpillar left, the locust eaten. What the locust eat, the palmer worm eaten. And what one left, the other eat. And all like that, they'd eat it all down. He said, will this ever live again? Will this ever come to pass? I thought, that's what Joel was speaking about. And I thought then, I began to notice the sea. Then come the wind again. And boo! I thought, that's just the way our churches has got. Years ago, the Methodists and Baptists having big old revivals and healing campaigns. And you Methodists, don't tell me, I'll read your history. When the Methodists and Wesley's over here, he couldn't get in places. He had to take places like this too, in little schoolhouses where he could get. Because the big starchy church had done fell away from God, Wesley had a revival. And the people would fall out on the floor with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They'd pour water in their face and fan them. They'd lay all night on the floor. <laughs> too bad you had the pitcher of water. It might have come through. See? And pouring the water in his face and shaking of, oh, he fainted, he fainted. The Holy Ghost working on him. This wasn't the age yet to know these things, you see. And there it was. What a revival they had. And nobody can say they didn't have a revival. They did have a revival. And those big churches today stand and say, I'm a church. Don't tell me. I'm recognized in the United States government. Well, what do you got? You're dead. Blistered. Just the signs of what you was. And every time God sends that Holy Ghost mighty rushing wind down, through the church, and you go and say, Ooh, the days of miracles is past. 
There's no such a thing as divine healing. Ooh, that's spiritualism. That's the devil. Ooh, don't go to hear that old stuff. God don't heal the people no more. Days of miracles is past. And the only thing the Holy Ghost does going through them is nothing in the world but make them moan and groan and carry on. Ooh, brother, that sure went out, didn't it? I felt that go plumb to the core. That's where I wanted to go. All right. Now, but I wondered then, what can you do? That's all it does. But then I thought, Lord, you said, I will restore, saith the Lord and Joel. Then I happened to look back, and coming up under them trees, come another bunch of trees, little bitty old trees, coming up like this, little pine trees and all kinds. And when that wind got low enough down to catch them, brother, they wasn't standing stiff and starchy. They just give with the wind. They had life in them, just a frolicking and rejoicing. I said, Hallelujah, I will restore, saith the Lord. I'll raise up another church that they can start you and deny the power of God. I'll raise up something that will receive it. Hallelujah. Amen. You might think I'm crazy, but if I am, just leave me alone. I'm happy this way. I'm better off this way than I was when I was with the world, so just let me alone. I'm, I never hurt nobody. Listen, brother, if you had this, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's right. The Holy Ghost blowing. They're not starchy. Well, I don't believe in them kind of things. Ooh. But them little fellows are just as, just as nimble, and they just give to the winds, and they're just blowing, they're just rejoicing and frolicking. And I said, that looks like a good old-fashioned Holy Ghost revival. That's exactly right. Coming right up under the Methodists and Baptists. Oh, God said, I will restore, saith the Lord. There it come up. Oh, brother, what the church needs today. Not get away every time that a church gets away from the phenomenal, gets away from the faith that was once delivered to the saints, God sets them right back on the shelf, moves out and picks up somebody else and goes right on. Exactly. Study church history. Find out if ever they had a revival in any age except they had miracles, signs, divine healing, power of God. In every revival, and as soon as that church, a couple of decades or a couple of uh, rounds of reformers come along, they followed after that, the church got formal, God set it up on the shelf and raised up nothing else. Exactly. And here we are today. What is it? The trees coming up. The trees. My, how ridiculous it looks to people. Just another remark, if you'll pardon me a minute. Something come in my mind. One time God was going to deliver some people down in Egypt. He had an old man out there, 80 years old, back on the backside of a desert named Moses. One morning he'd come up Walking around, he said, oh, he had backslid. He was back out there and married an Ethiopian woman and had a couple of kiddies. And, and so he was back out there on the herd and the sheep one morning, praising the Lord, and the Lord showed him a burning bush. He said, now look, Moses, I'm going to send you down to Egypt, the greatest mechanized units in the world, the powerfulest army in the world. I'm going to send you down there to take over. Well, he said, Lord, I can't go. I ain't got nothing to go. He said, what you got in your hand? Is that a stick? <laughs> How little. How significant. What's in your hand today? You may not have even a stick in your hand. You can testify. You can sing. Or you can pass tracts. You can tell somebody about it. Whatever's in your hand, get out and do something about it. Move. Let's get going. Let's get the revival moving. Let's fill these seats up. Get people saved. Fill with the Holy Spirit. Get the churches built up around here on fire. All the Methodists and Baptists and all of us. Let's build up. Get somewhere for God. Sure. Moses said, it's just a stick, Lord. He said, all right, now you throw it out of your hand. 
Now, in Moses' hand, it wasn't very much, but when it come in God's hand, it become a judgment rod. The little boy one day had five fishes, and in his hand, it wasn't very much, but when it come in Jesus' hands, it fed 5,000. It's not very much in your hand what you got, but give it to him one time. What little talent you got, give it to him. Find out what will become in his hands. Yes. Moses said, all right, Lord, I'll go. And could you imagine, let's look at a little drama. Here comes the next morning. An old man, 80 years old, whiskers hanging down about like this, little old skinny body with a crooked stick in his hand, leading a little old mule with a woman sitting straddle of it with two young'uns on each hip. A young on each, here she goes down to Egypt. I hear somebody say, Moses, where are you going? Glory to God, I'm going down to Egypt to take over. <laughs> take over. Take over. Ridiculous. They'd say, well, they've got a million trained men. Don't make any difference. God told me to take this stick and go down and take over. God said, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> well, it seemed like ridiculous, but he did it. Hallelujah. Why? God takes a ridiculous to prove his powers. Hallelujah. That's what I believe. God takes the things which is not and brings that which is to not. Amen. Sure he does. Say, how's he going to do this with this house? It's not our business to question. It's our business to obey. Samson's standing out there. One day the Philistines got at him. He knew he was anointed. He knew he was born, born under Nazarite birth. And the Philistines is up on him. He said, the Philistines on me. He looked around him. Well, he wasn't a warrior. He didn't, he didn't know how to use a sword. So he just found the jawbone of a mule. And he picked up that jawbone of a mule and the Spirit of God come on him and he slew a thousand Philistines. Amen. What the Spirit of God come on him. That's what makes the difference. I was preaching one time in a football stadium and as I went in, the thing was packed out and I was going in looking, had a little sign up over the door. said, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. <laughs> That's a good idea. It's not the size of the dog, it's the size of the fight. Brother, you legally share want to call it righteous indignation? Let's get started. Hallelujah. Get stirred up about this thing. Get out here and say, God, you're real and you're my Savior. And I want to serve you. And I don't care what the people say. I'm going to serve you anyhow. Get out and do something about it. Sure. I see a little sham guard over there in the Bible. Very seldom you know anything about him. Little don't know much about him. There he was sitting up there. The police seems to come in. And there's no judges in Israel. And they just do anything they wanted to. About the way the church is hard today. Now, all right. And the first thing you know, the police seems to come in. Come in, take what they had to eat, and here's little sham guard standing out there. He, the year before, they took all he had, and here he was standing there. And his poor little wife standing there in her sleeves all out, and his little kitty's barefooted, I can imagine, standing there. He got some grain, he worked all summer. He said, well, wife, dear, I suppose maybe this winter we won't starve if them cursed Philistines will stay away. we got enough wheat now, we can get the kitty some wheat and some bread, and here's some barley. We have some porridge for breakfast, and... I guess everything will be all right, honey. I'm just so sorry. Your poor little arms look so bad and your clothes are gone. Maybe I can sell a little and, and get you some clothes. Directly, I hear something going, boom, 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 boom. That's just the way you do when you think you've got your church started out on a spiritual. Here comes the devil sending something in. That's just the way he does it. And that's right. Don't pay attention to him. Here he looked out the window, raised back to the barn door and looked, and there comes 600 armed men. Big, fat fellows walking up, armors and shields, coming over to get uh, sham guards, grub to take it back across. He looked, he looked at his little wife, 
I can see the tears running down his cheeks. He looked around. Well, if I had an armor and spirit, what am I? I'm a farmer. I couldn't fight them. And look, I'm outnumbered. There's 600 to my one. What can I do? But wait a minute. I'm an Israelite. I'm circumcised. I'm in the covenant of God. Hallelujah. The odds are against you on divine healing. If the odds are against you on old-time salvation, what difference does it make? We're circumcised. The Holy Ghost has took the Spirit of God and cut the world away. He looked out there and he seen that, and his righteous indignation rise. He wasn't, a, he wasn't a, a warrior. He didn't have time to go away to school and train to fight these Philistines. He didn't know nothing about it in the first place. So he just grabbed the first thing he had or got a hold of him as an ox gold. You know what an ox gold is? It's a big stick with a piece of brass on it. Knock the stuff off the plow with when he gets choked up or poke the cattle and make them go through the gate. He jumped out there in the middle of the road under this knowing that he was a child of God. He wasn't a warrior. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't this, that, or the other. Just like you are today. You say, let the preacher do the preaching. Let him bring the revival. You've got to do it too. Start a prayer meeting in your house. Burn up them cards you're playing. Take that beer out of the box. Let's start a revival. Right. Yes, sir. He grabbed that stick and jumped out there in the middle of the road. The Spirit of God come on him, and he killed 600 Philistines. Hallelujah. <laughs> You're going to call me a holy roller after this, aren't you? But I'm feeling awfully good. <laughs> if it takes that to get to heaven, then I want to be that. <laughs> I'm not a holy roller. No, sir, and I've never seen one in my life. I've sailed the seven seas three times around the world, and I've never seen a holy roller yet. <laughs> I've seen people who believe in holiness, but I never see a holy roller. <laughs> never seen one in my life. All the meetings I've been into and ministered to, I guess I'm acquainted today, or uh, direct or indirect with 10 million people. Never seen a holy roller yet. <laughs> never seen any church that was branded up here in the government. There were 960-some-odd different churches. I've never seen a holy roller branded on any of them. It's a, de- it's a name the devil tacked onto the church. That's exactly. When a man gets salvation, they say he's a holy roller. That devil's mark. Exactly. Now, notice this, friends. Jesus was rejected. All right. Then what? The, let's look at the great St. Paul. Now, let's bring this line on up. Look, let's contend for the faith that was what? First delivered to the saints. Signs and wonders. God's vindicated his church all along with what? Not membership. Signs and wonders. Is that right? Not who's got the biggest crowd, who's the most fundamental in doctrine, but signs and wonders. That's where God's been. Look at it now. There's your seed in Genesis. Look at it now. Where are we at now? We're in Revelation. It's spreading out. 13th chapter of Matthew, he said, the sower sowed wheat, and some sowed weeds, so let them both go together. Look, we're always saying how bad the world is, how the bootleg joints and whiskey and legalized drinking and gambling and prostitution, everything's going on. We're always talking about that, but you fail to find out before the church is seen. Hallelujah. We're moving right on up. Signs and wonders appearing everywhere. She's putting out seeds too. We're nearly there. Don't worry. The harvest is soon on. Oh, thank God for the church. Yes. What church, Brother Branham? The born again. Is that the Methodist? That's all of us. Amen. That's born again. That's every one of us. Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Catholic, whatever we are, if we're born of the Spirit of God, we're sons and daughters of God. We believe in the phenomenal. We believe in divine healing. We believe in the power of God. We accept it. We see Him working signs and wonders. Now look, 
Last comment. Now we're in Revelation, going out. Let's listen to what Paul said. Know this, that in the last days, that's the end, isn't it? Peerless times shall come, for a man shall be lovers of their own selves. I'm from the so-and-so. Lovers of their own, proud, boasters, incontinent, fierce, and despisers of those that are trying to do good. <laughs> See? Well, I tell you now, Brother Branham, that meant communists. Oh, no, that meant fundamentalists. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away, for this is the sort that go from house to house and lead silly women along with all kinds of societies and so and stitch and so and talk about Miss so-and-so and boil up some old rooster and sell it to pay the preacher. Oh, goodness, pay your tithes and you don't have to do that. And he'll say, God, then all these other things like this, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. God be merciful to us. Christians, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to stimulate your faith. Don't pay any attention to what anybody tells you if it's contrary to thus saith the Lord. Look, God always, from Genesis he put the seed down there. Look here today. Look at the people go to church. Put on your thinking cap. I'm closing. Put on the thinking cap. Look down through the Bible at these two stalks now. Here they come up. Both of them Cain and Abel. Both of them as worshipers. Both of them as believers. God vindicated this one and rejected this one. No matter how fundamental he was, he rejected me because he didn't have signs. Come on up to the Israelite age. God, both of them fundamental. Well, let me stand there, one just as scriptural as the other. God has vindicated this with signs and wonders, rejected that. And this is fundamentalist this one here, but rejected it because signs and wonders. It's the election and calling, always of God. Come out on up and look at Jesus' day. Here they come up. Jesus fundamental too. So was all the Orthodox priest, but he rejected him, accepted Jesus, vindicated him by signs and wonders, said the Bible. That's how we know he was a man of God. He was a phenomenal with following him, signs and wonders. Now, the great St. Paul, do you believe his authority? Say amen. Great St. Paul said, now, wait a minute. I'm writing this to the Bible. In the last day, there's going to be just this fundamental, having a form of godliness, but they're going to deny the power of, the fun, of this great power uh, of over here. That's going to have a form of godliness. They're going to be just as correct in the Scripture as the rest of you. They're going to believe in God, the second coming of Christ. They're going to believe in all that. They're going to have fine churches. They're going to have the same thing they had down here. They're going to have the same thing they had here. They're going to have the same thing here. They're going to have the same thing there. But the same church was here and here and here. And there she goes out in the seat at the end. Step off that vine today, brother. Get over here. Come on in. While it's called day. God has made a way for you. God has blessed you. There's some time I was reading about an old blind Bartimaeus. He was an old man. One night, his wife was stricken sick. He had a little dove that done somersaults over each other like this and enticed the travelers that passed by. And as they passed by, they'd watch that and they'd stop. Then they'd give a blind Bartimus a coin, and that's how he lived, so the story said. Then one day, his wife took sick. He walked out. He was a believer. He believed God would heal. He believed God was real. He said, Lord God, my poor wife, the doctor can do no more for her. If you'll spare her life tomorrow, I'll take these turtle doves and offer them to you for a sacrifice. The hard thing, 
We won't make the sacrifice out of, well, something easy. See, that's not a sacrifice. It's something that hurts and cuts is what's a sacrifice. So the next, the next morning, his wife was well. He took the turtle doves and offered them. Not long as they say, a little blonde-headed daughter, about eight years old. He had never seen her in his life. She was blind. She took six. So he went out and prayed that night. He said, Lord, if you'll heal my little girl and don't let her die, I'll give you my... He had a lamb. These days, they're led by a dog that leads the blind. They had a lamb then that led the blind. So he had a little lamb that led him up to the gate. And then he'd stop and tie the lamb up. So he said, if you'll heal my little girl and don't let her die, God, tomorrow I'll give you my lamb. Well, the next morning, his little girl was well. God had healed her. So here he goes up. The story says that Caiaphas, the high priest, stood up and said, he's going up towards the sacrifices. He said, where goest thou, blind Bartimus? He said, O high priest, I go to offer my lamb. Jehovah God healed my daughter last night. I promised him my lamb. Oh, he said, Brian Bartimus, you cannot offer that lamb. said, I'll give you the money to buy you a lamb up at the cellar. And said, up at the, the cages, they'll give you a lamb. I'll give you some money and you buy a lamb. He said, I never promised God a lamb. I promised him this lamb. That's right. This lamb. He said, Brian Bartimus, you can't do that. He said, but high priest, I promised God I would. He said, but blind Bartimus, that lamb is your eyes. He said, very well, high priest, but God will provide a lamb for blind Bartimus's eyes if blind Bartimus will obey God. Well, about six months later, in a cold November day, he stood at the gate shivered. No lamb leading. No doves to do enchantment. No money to pay the coal bill. But he had obeyed God. First thing you know, they heard a racket coming down the street. What is it? It's screaming and crying. Shouting. There's always some kind of excitement where God's around. Say, who is that coming? God had provided a lamb for blind Bartimus' eyes. Here comes the lamb. And that lamb's provided for every spiritual blind man or physical blind man in here this afternoon, woman. The lamb has been provided. Won't you accept it while we bow our heads, if you will? Our Heavenly Father, sometimes I think of how, what can we do? How can these things be that you're so good to us? Bless us and help us. We're unworthy. And I pray for mercy. And today, while we know that same provided lamb that was for blind Bartimus's eyes is here. Pass through here, Lord. Open every spiritual blinded eye and let them see today that your church is a church alive with miracles and signs and wonders. Grant it, Lord. May many, many women who has not yet been born and filled with the Holy Ghost by tradition has been packed away to one side. May they humbly in their heart now say, Lord Jesus, I now accept you as my lamb to guide me. My eyes have been blind. I've never had an experience.
experience of being born again. I want you to give me the birth right now. I want to go out of here this afternoon with a happy, free-feeling heart to know that my sins are gone and to know that I'm filled with your Spirit, to know that signs and wonders shall follow my life, too, that you'll appear to me in visions and dreams and how I can go on the street and work for you and testify and do your work. Grant it to every man and woman sitting here, God. Except these few words, God, so unarranged and unknown what I would speak of it, I pray that somehow you'll gather them all together in your own glorious, lovely way and present them to the hearts of the people. Grant it, Father, for their intended purpose. You know what I meant by them. And I pray that every sick person sitting here will hear that scream today of the Lamb of God coming by. Who was it? We know the unbeliever said, Keep your peace. But he cried that much louder. Thou son of David, have mercy. He had a need. You know God had provided the lamb. Pray God. May no one hold their peace. But may they scream out until the lamb stops. Says, What will thou have me do? Lord, that I might receive my sight. He touched his eyes. And sight broke into eyes which could not see. God grant today that the Holy Spirit will touch every heart today, and every eye, that both spiritual and physical sight may be restored. Grant it, Lord. Bless all together. Have mercy. Some glorious day, Lord, I don't know when. Someday I got to preach my life sermon. Someday these people got to hear their life sermon. We got to stand in your presence. I see those big trees coming up. I see them from Genesis. And God, I see it here in this day. What can I do, Lord? What can I do? And I, I don't know what to do. My heart's burning. My soul's are bleeding. I see men and women smuggled out there in darkness. And I don't know what to do, Father. To say one thing, they say this against it, and they say that, they say something else. But God, I'm committing it to you now. Speak to every heart. Granted, while we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please no one look but just let the Lord and I see this. The piano or the organ as it's softly playing. I wonder if someone in here, I don't believe there's a head up, but I see. I wonder if someone in here say, Brother Branham, truly in the sight of God, I know I haven't received the Holy Ghost. There's no need of me trying to deceive myself. I know I haven't. There's no such sign following me. And Jesus said, these signs shall. And they're not. And I know I'm not. I haven't received the Holy Ghost. You pray for me, Brother Branham. If God would hear your prayers to open the eyes of the blind, make the deaf to hear and see the cripples to walk, surely he'll hear from me. Will you raise your hand and say, pray for me, Brother Branham. God bless you, 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 you. Oh, my. Just keep your heads bowed. I see your hand. 30, 40, 50 hands up. Oh, Christ. Please, dear God. There may be one more step between us and eternity. We don't know what tomorrow even holds. But I pray that now, right now, while your great omnipotence, the presence of the crucified one, Stand here marvelously looking on. We'll bless 
I pray that you will give each one of those who raise their hands the baptism of the Holy Ghost. May he fill their heart with such power that we'll have a repeat of the Pentecostal blessings like fell in the beginning. They're tired and weary, Lord. Some of them are old and gray-headed. Sun setting. The evening star time is coming out. God grant that they receive the Holy Ghost. Poor old mothers and dads who struggle along through life. Maybe they've never had an opportunity before. But I pray that you'll give it to them now. And may this sweet, lovely dove of God settle down in their hearts and fill them with the Spirit of God till their lives will be full of power. Great signs and wonders will break out. And this hard city here will be crushed and smashed. And God's presence will ride into every church and be an old-fashioned revival that will spread across the country. The news of it from this city ran at large. Many couldn't hold their hands. Maybe they wasn't. They wanted to, but they just their conviction wasn't strong enough. God, I pray that you'll bless them to give them all the Holy Spirit, save the unsaved, heal the sick. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask it. Amen. Can you raise your hand? Thoroughly, I'm going to ask you something. Excuse my rough way of speaking. I, I don't know no other way, friend. The only way I know to do is just what he tells me. I, I say it. And I, I'm just kind of, you know, I just do the best that I can. You've been used to listening to scholars, polished scholars, who can hold their text together. I didn't know what I was going to say when I come up here. I just have to say it the way that, but I know it's the truth. Because it comes from God. I didn't write it on paper. And I, I love you. I didn't, don't scold you to make you angry with me. I, I do that for your correction. Any true daddy would correct his children. Certainly he would. And I knew you were sitting here. And Fifty or more hands went up that you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Brother, sister, without that, you'll perish. You sure as the world. Don't come short of that. And look. My Bible over my heart, I've tried to be sincere. Now, there may be many things that I do not know, but I do know Jesus Christ. I, I do, with the bottom of my heart, and someday I've got to meet every one of you at the judgment seat of Christ. I've got to stand there, that's right. I've got to give an account for what I say and do. So, if I'm in error, it's sincere. I don't mean it. But, dear Christian friend, if you have in the Holy Spirit... I wonder if you would want to receive it this afternoon coming to an altar to pray. I wonder if you'd like to come up here and if God in his mercy if he'll hear a prayer to heal the sick. I'm just getting letters after letters of people here who's missing their tumors and everything like that's moving from them. People who is crippled arthritis even come by here and went and told them lay hands on their wives and people. They said when I got home laid my hand on my wife she got up out of the bed it's all over she's feeling fine different parts in this little bitty handful of people. See, friends, I'm trying to tell you the truth and God's a vindicating I'm telling you the truth. It's not me. It's Him. It's Him. He's the one to do it. Now, He's sure to heal right now. He knows all about Right now. I don't have to wait till night comes. I know He's right here healing right now. Now, I know 
I know somebody, I, I, right now the Holy Spirit's upon me, changing from preaching, right now because many of you are here for healing. And I feel it moving right around over me right now. The angel of God, whose picture that is on that paper, that's the truth. I see it hanging right over me right now, hanging right out here. It moves right, it just looks to me like, oh, I wish I could explain this. I know you might say Brother Branham is a fanatic. Well, I, 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 I'm not. I'm, I'm not a fanatic. I'm your brother. <laughs> it's a little soldier standing here. It's a little fellow standing there sitting there praying. Yes. You're, you're sick. You're needing healing, aren't you? It's something in your ear, isn't it? Not yet, that's right. It's running in your ear. It won't heal up. Isn't that right? Put your hand over your ear. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll take that away from him right now and make him well. Oh, God. Poor little fella. Out here serving in the army. His ears are bad. Maybe you want him healed today. That's the reason you do this. I pray that you'll grant it right now. In divine vindication, Jesus, after preaching, heal the sick. Now, Lord, I pray. As your servant, I ask for healing for my brother in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. God bless you, my brother. Go to stop now. You'll be all right. God bless you. Anyone, anyone wants the Holy Ghost? Would you come here and stand right here while we stand almost persuaded? Would you do it? Will you give us sister a card on that? All the audience, would you come here? God bless you. This is it. Almost persuaded now to believe. Almost persuaded, take you from the Methodist, from the Baptist. We're trying to get you to receive the Holy Ghost and go back to your own church. Fill with God's blessings. Your pastor will appreciate it. Oh, he'll be so happy you've received the Holy Ghost. There's more in here should be standing here. What if Jesus would just now you hear a scream? You look out, rainbows flashing through the skies, the sun going down, hanging out in the west, dripping like black blood. Too late then. If you're not sure you're filled with the Holy Spirit, won't you come now? Let's sing once more, will you? Your mothers and fathers sang these old songs years ago. Won't you come? How are we saying? Almost persuaded I'll come today I knew you should come there.
but to fail. Sad, 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 bitter way. others should be standing here. Now don't tell me. I know there is. I feel led to say this. Right down here in your following city one night, I felt led to do this. You know what I did? Walked out of the pulpit, a fine young Baptist girl. I said, the Lord is calling you sister tonight. She said, if I wanted somebody to tell me something, I've got to get somebody who had some sense, not you. I said, all right. Very well, I said, the Holy Spirit told me this was your day, your time. She puffed her little nose up, very attractive-looking girl, walked away out the door. There's some vines are growing out there. When I come out that night, she didn't give me a, a beautiful bawling out. About two years later, I was in the same city going down the street. She's out of a fine family. Her father and mother both was Christians. Longs a fine Baptist church. I started going down the street. And I looked across the street in a real bad neighborhood, and there went that girl, her skirt hanging, horrible looking. I just started walking along down the street to be sure that was her. She turned around and she said, Well, hello, preacher. A real slurry. But how to do? Said, You're the guy that called me out that night in the church, aren't you? And I said, Yes, ma'am. <laughs> She reached down her pocketbook and read up a cigarette. Said, have a smoke. I said, shame on you. She said, maybe you'd like to have a little drink. She pulled a glass of whiskey out. I said, the very idea you offer in God's servant, such a thing as that. Said, nothing can happen to me anymore. She puffed on her cigarette a little bit, near the marijuana. She said, you remember, preacher, that night that you told me that God was giving me my call? I said, yes, I sure do remember she said, if you ever told the truth, it was then. She said, my heart has been so hard since that very night. Now, here's a remark she made. I could see my mother's soul frying hell like a pancake and laugh at it. Turned around, blowed that smoke, and walked down the street a prostitute, drunk, folk thing. Don't turn God down. He'll knock one time for the last time. Let's pray again, Lord. I don't know why I said that. But I'm, I said it, Father, because I felt that you wanted me to. Now, if there be any here that needs you, Father, I just commit it to you and pray that you'll send them to this altar at this time that they might receive your Spirit. If they're unsaved, save them. And if they're unprepared to meet you without the Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll give them the Holy Spirit this very evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, while we just wait a moment, Will you play that again for us? Let's play it through. Just be reverent. If you feel that God would want you to come, come stand with us. While doing this, how many ministers are in here that believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for the believer today? Raise your hand. Ministers of the gospel. Would you all walk right around here with these people? Now to you believers who are standing here seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm very grateful for you. I'm grateful at what little ministry the Lord has given me here. 
has been effective and you believe it, God will surely bless you for it. As a humble servant, I've done all that I know how to represent my Lord. And I say to you, in the name of Christ Jesus, he's standing right here now. And he'll, he'll give each one of you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, the thing you have to do, it's a gift. It isn't a faith, it's a gift. It doesn't come and say, well, I believe I've got it. That don't work. It isn't that. It's a gift, unmerited gift. God just gives it to you. Not because you believe it, because God gives it to you. But you've come asking him for it. And he that blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. God will give you the Holy Spirit. I want you to open your heart and say, Father dear, I am a believer. I am your child. And I, I now want the Holy Spirit to come into my heart. I lay all the world on the altar. I lay everything on the altar. Now, while you're standing here, many of you weeping, the tears rolling down your cheeks. That's the Holy Spirit. That's him on you right now, just wanting to fill your life. If the audience back there could only see this scene standing here, young ladies, young men, elderly people, the tears just rolling down their cheeks. The Holy Spirit hovered out. Here's the angel of God standing right there. This and this is five feet above their head right now. The very angels you see on the picture standing right here above them right now. That's right. Just ready to pour himself into every believer. Now, it's just, you just believe it. Ask him. And just accept it. Say, Lord, I believe you. And then you'll know when it comes. You'll feel the Spirit of God pouring into your heart. Then when you do, raise up your hands and thank him for it. Say, thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm so grateful that you give me the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you'll feel the power of God surge through your body. You'll be a different person from that time on. Now, let every person in here bow your head, if you will. Now, you ministers standing here around these people, walk up to them, lay your hands over on them. The Bible said to lay hands on them. Each one of you, now lay your hand over on the believer. That's what we're supposed to do. Lay your hand, your hand over on them who are seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit coming into her heart. Now, lay your hands over on the believers, and now ask them, they receive. Now, you people out there, be deeply sincere. All right, let's pray. Now, everybody, all of you pray. Pray your own prayer. Now, Father, as I pray, knowing it at this very hour that millions of prayers across the world is coming into your ears, you hear every one of them. There's not a way for you to fail but to hear every one of them. And now, Lord, these dear, poor children coming up, I pray for mercy for them. Oh, eternal God, send your blessings. And may the Holy Ghost is hanging right over these people now. May he fall right upon them just now. May every heart receive him. And may the glory and power of the resurrected Jesus Christ come upon them just now. May great signs and wonders follow their life. And may they lose their own thoughts and turn to thee just now. Not caring what the audience says. Not caring what anybody else thinks. But knowing what you've required, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And may the power of the Holy Ghost fall upon every one of them just now as these ministers are laying hands on them. And may the Holy Ghost follow them in signs and wonders. May great exploits be done. And may this little gathering this afternoon break out into an old-fashioned Holy Ghost meeting. Grant it, Lord. Now, Satan, you've lost your authority. You've lost your power. And the Holy Ghost is here to take over and to bless these people and fill them with God's goodness. I ask for the Holy Ghost to take away in the heart in Jesus Christ's name.
Now just keep your hands up. Keep praising God. Keep giving praise and glory. Each one of you. Just thank you. You say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the